Malkenu, our Father and our King, thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for um, for all the things that you're doing in our community, O oh God. And I pray that uh, your word would go forth to encourage um, our family and uh, that uh, you uh, would just make yourself known this morning. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. So, uh, in order to introduce today's topic, I have uh, invited uh, Eric Lansing to come up here to the Bema. Uh, and uh, in honor of uh, we're having uh, Hebrew is starting, uh, starting up uh, here at Tikvot again. Very exciting. I thought we could have a little Hebrew lesson to sort of give us a, a taste of what's to, to come. What do you guys think about that? All right. Uh, uh, and Eric has been studying, you've been studying Hebrew for a long time, haven't you? Yeah, most of my life. All right. So uh, let's, would you like to have a, a little lesson with the folks? Come on over. All right. So um, how do you say uh, he in Hebrew? Like the, let's start with the pronouns. So he. Who? Uh, he. Who? Uh, no, if I wanted to say he in Hebrew, what would I say? Who is he? That's, that's what I'm trying to find out. Uh, that's what I'm telling you. Uh, also, me is who. Who is you? No, who, uh, no, who is me? You are who? Uh, No, he is who. Who is he? Uh, No, who is me? He is who, and he is she. Wait, what? Uh, He is she. You gotta be kidding me. He is she. Who is he and me is who? How can he be she? Who is she? No, 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 who is he? (laughs) You know what, never mind. We'll just have a, a Hebrew lesson another day. I'm sorry. We need to work this out a little bit uh, later. But let's have a hand for Eric. <laughs> well, as you can see from this brief scenario, uh, frustration and conflict can, uh, can arise very easily among disciples of Yeshua, whether from miscommunication like we had or unresolved hurts or unforgiveness. Conflict dealt with the wrong way can be very divisive and harmful to our community. So today's topic is how to resolve conflicts biblically. And the three main principles that I found in Scripture as to how to resolve conflicts are all part of love. Number one is loving by listening. Number two is loving by confronting. And number three is loving by by forgiving. So let's begin with number one, loving through listening. This is a very important part of love. Love can mean understanding another person by listening. In fact, the word for listen or hear in Hebrew is shema, and this can also mean understand. This is what good listeners do. Romans 12 verse 10 says, I don't know if we have that. Yes. Thank you, Robert. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Another translation says, give preference to one another. This word for preferring others beyond ourselves is progumenoi in Greek. And the prefix of pro means before in Greek. And that means that we are to put others before ourselves. In other words, A good listener seeks first to understand, then to be understood, putting the needs of the other person first. 
This, this is a big challenge of being a good listener, but it is crucial to conflict resolution. The main obstacle to listening is our fleshly nature, which wants to react, and it allows emotions to overwhelm us, and it wants to make the other person wrong, and it wants to justify ourselves. One method of overcoming these listening obstacles is called active listening where you try to sum up what you heard the other person say. This can lower the amount of reacting and increase communication. So for example, uh, what I hear you say is, when I don't call you and I'm working late, it causes you to feel worried, right? Or what I heard you say is that Oneg is not a good time for me to try my screaming llama impressions. Is that correct? I just threw that in there and to see if you were still listening. <laughs> However, the simple act of making others feel understood can be a huge step in the resolution of conflict, and this is an expression of love. There's, there is another aspect of Shema, listening and understanding with love, that is important to resolving conflict, and that is empathy. Empathy is listening combined with compassion. Our Lord Yeshua empathized with compassion many times. In Luke 13, 10 through 16, we find this story. Yeshua was teaching in one of the synagogues on Shabbat. A woman who came up who had a spirit which had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent double and unable to stand erect at all. On seeing her, Yeshua called her and said to her, Lady, you have been set free from your weakness. He put his hands on her, and at once she stood upright and began to glorify God. But the president of the synagogue, indignant that Yeshua had healed on Shabbat, spoke up and said to the congregation, there are six days in the week for working, so come during one of those days to be healed, not on Shabbat. However, the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, each one of you on Shabbat, don't you unloose your ox or your donkey from the stall and lead him off to drink? This woman is a daughter of Avraham, and the adversary kept her tied up for 18 years. Shouldn't she be freed from this bondage on Shabbat? You see, Yeshua sees her weakness and responds with compassion. The president of the synagogue takes the opposite approach and responds to her weakness with offense. It's so easy for us to do the second one, but we are called as his disciples to respond as Yeshua does. What do I mean? People tend to offend us due to their weaknesses, their shortcomings. If a friend has trouble sticking to commitments, we might react with offense or anger, but there may be a reason they're doing this that we can't see at first. Listening with compassion means we don't react immediately to the offense as the synagogue president did but respond in gentleness to the hurt, as Yeshua did. This is what it looks like to listen with compassion and empathy, which is an expression of love. And this brings us to the second part of how to resolve conflicts, loving by confronting. After all, conflict resolution is not just about listening with compassion, but also speaking with compassion. There is a time to listen and a time to speak. In Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17, Yeshua outlines the confrontation process. 
Moreover, if your brother commits a sin against you, go and show him his fault, but privately, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother back. If he doesn't listen, take one or two others with you so that every accusation can be supported by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to hear them, tell the congregation. And if he refuses even to listen to the congregation, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So what are the principles of this process that Yeshua is explaining? First, we should go to the person that we have the issue with and just them. Not gossip about them to our friend. Not complain about them to our mother. Not just ignore that person and not confront them in front of a bunch of people, but go to the person one-on-one. And when you go, speak the truth in humility and compassion, which are expressions of love. We cannot approach people with an offense as if we are the judge, as if we are the righteous one and they are the sinner that needs to repent. This is not loving. We shouldn't confront others hastily in anger or without processing with Hashem first. This is not loving. If we demand that someone meet our own personal standards, this is not loving. So what is our guide to confronting in a loving way? I think there is a verse that sums it up perfectly. In Ephesians 4 verse 15, it says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in every respect grow up into Him who is the head the Messiah, speaking the truth in love. Why don't we say that together? Speaking the truth in love. This means that we are assertive, but not aggressive. We are honest, but not harsh. It means that we speak in humility, in patience, and with hope. A few years ago, I was staying at a friend's house out of town in North Carolina. And this young man who was hosting me approached me one day, and he confronted me in an extremely loving way. He said that uh, sometimes he heard me joking around in a vulgar or coarse way, and he gently reminded me of the scripture in Ephesians 5.4, which says, there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And he said it in a way that I wasn't embarrassed and I wasn't ashamed. And I, I could immediately see that he was right. And I, I actually thanked him for, for showing me that. And it, it, it improved my life. You know, it changed, uh, it changed me for the good. No one is perfect. We, and most of us aren't aware of how we sometimes hurt others. Therefore, sometimes it's helpful to use I statements when we confront someone in love. For example, I feel hurt when you make fun of me in front of others, or I feel disrespected when you don't allow me to have a voice. As a general rule, specifics are better than generalizations, and I statements are better than you statements. Saying, you always make me feel bad about myself can lead to more conflict. Would you rather hear your spouse say, you never help around the house, Or, I would appreciate it if, when I cook, you got started on the dishes. 
If you are single and the person is the opposite gender, I would suggest meeting in a public space with enough privacy to discuss the matter. If you are married and the person is the opposite gender, it would be wise to include your spouse, and if they are married, their spouse as well. If this doesn't work, Yeshua says that we are to take a witness or two to help mediate the situation. This was step two in the Matthew 18 process. Good mediators are congregational leaders, such as Havarah leaders, Shamashim, that is deacons, and Torah study leaders. The third step, if steps one and two both fail, is to bring it to the congregation. And this does not mean that we are to tell everyone in the congregation. That would be Lashon Hara, if we're sharing our grievance in front of everyone. But rather it means that we bring it to the elders who represent the whole congregation to make a final decision about, uh, about who needs to repent and in, in order for there to be a just resolution. If the person is deemed to be at fault and does not repent even at this point, then the scripture says that the members of the community should treat that person like a pagan or a tax collector. This was a first century way of saying that the community should not associate with that person. This is necessary in order to set up a boundary to protect a community from ungodly behavior. Unrepentant sin and unresolved conflict can be divisive and toxic to a spiritual family. And this brings us to another important part of how to resolve conflict bi biblically, which is loving through forgiveness. If we have conflict with someone, before we go work it out, we should try to forgive them first and pray for their good in our own heart. I know when I do this, things always go much better than if I just go to the person right away and I haven't really forgiven them. This way, when we're interacting with them, there's no bitterness lingering. Unforgiveness, if it remains, can lead to bitterness. Proverbs 25 verse 21 states, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. So if we are to show forgiveness even to our enemies, how much more should we extend forgiveness with those whom God has called us into relationship, our friends, our family, and spiritual community? While Nelson Mandela was in prison for a life sentence, he chose to befriend his white captors, to learn their language, and even fellowship with them. When he was released and then elected president, he didn't use his power for retribution or vengeance. His forgiveness as a leader enabled the entire country of South Africa to heal from apartheid. But what is forgiveness? Is it just forgetting what others have done or letting people do whatever they want? No, it is a releasing of debt. In part of the Tefilat HaTalmidim, or Disciples' Prayer, Matthew 6, verses 12, states, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So we can see that not only are we to forgive others as God has mercifully forgiven us, but also that forgiveness has to do with debt, canceling debt. If you've ever cleared a debt with someone or, or paid credit card debt, you know how good that feeling of release is. When we release someone in forgiveness, 
They no longer owe us. There is no longer guilt, shame, or desire for revenge. This kind of releasing forgiveness is required for all disciples of Yeshua. And this is what Rabbi Michael Rudolph calls personal forgiveness. This does not mean that you and the other person are definitely reconciled, but rather you've released your right to vengeance, which may or may not lead to reconciliation and resolution. The other kind of forgiveness, which Rabbi Michael calls judicial forgiveness, involves the process of forgiving other disciples of Yeshua. This is the forgiveness that we grant a brother or sister when they come to us in repentance. As it says in Luke 17, verses 3 through 4, watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Also, if seven times in one day he sins against you, and seven times he comes to you and says, I repent, you are to forgive him. Judicial forgiveness should lead to reconciliation and resolution through the Matthew 18 process described earlier, which starts with going directly to the person and speaking in love and gentleness. So we have seen that resolving conflict involves love through listening, love through confronting gently, and love through forgiving. But why is this process important? Well, for one, relationships are important. After all, no fellowship, no conflict. You know, I was, I was watching a, a TV show once, and the main character was granted three wishes, and he wanted to be altruistic with his first wish, so he wished for world peace. You know what happened? When his wish was granted, he was the only person on earth. He was going around, there was no one left, even his best friend was gone. You know, shalom, harmony, reconciliation, it's very easy if you're the only one around. But we're not designed for isolation. It might be easier. We're designed, however, for relationship, relating with others in a community. Genesis 2, verse 18 says, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, this is the first time in the Torah that something is not good or low tov. Everything else is good, tov, up until this point. God created the light, that was good, ketov. The earth and the seas were good, ketov. The sun and the moon, ketov. The creatures in the land, sea, and air, about all of the creation in a summary of Genesis chapter 1, God says, Hine tov me'od, behold, it was very good. But here in chapter 2, for the first time, God says, Lo tov. These are two very powerful words contrasted with the goodness of creation. What's not good? It's not good for man to be alone. Isolation, disunity, lack of community, absence of fellowship. Lo tov hiyot ha'adam levado. It is not good for Adam or anyone to be alone. So we see that we are designed to be bound together and that the answer to peace isn't isolation, but relationship. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. 
This implies that not only do we need to be in relationship with one another, but also that relationship causes conflict, which can lead to growth when properly resolved. This sharpening and pruning and molding happens only in relationship, not in isolation. You know, growing and conflict do not feel good. Confronting other people about problems is not easy. Many times we would rather rationalize the way we are or the way the relationship is. We'd rather not confront someone if we can avoid it. However, most of the time when I have conflict with someone, there is usually something that God is trying to teach me and the other person, and usually both. It might be about communication. It might be about uh, integrity, about respecting boundaries, about things that are hurtful, about listening, about humility. These are important lessons. Why should we not just sweep these conflicts under the rug? If a person is not respecting you or bullying you, then you are doing yourself and them a disservice by allowing it. In love, truth must be spoken because the truth sets us free. The person who's being violated gets freedom from disrespect by gentle confronting. And the other person who is disrespecting will be blessed in all of their future interactions with others. They will be transformed by loving confrontation. How many of us are perfect? We see a, a show of hands. One, Linus, okay. All right, well, you don't need to listen to this next part. But for the rest of us, it means that we all need sharpening. We all need other people's perspectives and gifts and encouragement and edification, friendship and love. And we also sometimes need rebuking, correction, and exhortation at times, but always in love, humility, and gentleness. The Apostle Shaul compares the community of Yeshua followers to a physical body and says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 15 through 17, Now, if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Can you imagine that? If your whole body were an ear? You know, as an aside, Purim's coming up. That might be a great biblical costume. It's a good idea. Just dress up like a giant ear. And if anyone asks, you can, you can point them to 1 Corinthians. See, I got it. It's from the Bible. This image should be a reminder that much as we might not like it all the time, we need each other because we're not built the same way. One ear can understand and relate to another ear just fine. It's those feet they just can't understand. Feet are very poor listeners, you know, and those ears never take initiative to go anywhere. Conflict resolution allows for us to grow in our weaknesses if we speak the truth in love. Yeshua said, blessed are the peacemakers, not blessed are the peacekeepers. What's the difference? We must face people in love when there is hurt, sin, offense, or boundary crossing. Ignoring a problem doesn't make it go away. Relationships are how we learn, grow, and change into more godly men and women.
Today, we have discussed a few important parts of how and why to resolve conflicts biblically. Is Hashem calling you by His still small voice to resolve conflict with someone in your life? Is there someone you need to apologize to and ask forgiveness? Someone that you need to forgive? Someone you need to confront in love and in gentleness? If so, we should respond to His call. And as we do, let's remember that we need to resolve conflict because we are called to be in relationship with one another. Although relationships beget conflict because we're all different, conflict can be a catalyst for growth and learning when handled biblically. Let's remember to listen and understand as an expression of love, to confront in love, and to forgive others their debts against us out of love. Let's pray. Father Avinu, we thank you that uh, you've given us these principles in your word to, to teach us how to resolve conflict with our brothers and sisters. And we pray that you would make us um, more mature and um, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't react and that we would uh, confront in love and that we would follow your, your precepts, O oh God, because you want what is best for us. And uh, help us to uh, encourage one another, O oh God, and uh, to really be the body as you described it, um, with each part working together and, um, and us blessing others in their weakness and others blessing us in our weakness. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.